So I was not trying to toot my own horn, but I just I didn't recognize when I got here. And I said, oh, I've been here. All right, so today's sermon text is Matthew 9, 18 through 38. And the title of the thought is Hosanna to the Lord of the Harvest. But will you take a few minutes, just a few seconds, and try to imagine. Imagine trying to give praise to Jesus Christ throughout a 25-year battle with cancer. Now try to hear yourself singing fewer and fewer words of your favorite spiritual song because your memory is just not what it used to be. Finally, try to answer this question. If your good, good father did not stop your mother from committing suicide, or if the all-powerful God of the whole universe allowed some lady on her cell phone to paralyze your kid, When would you be ready to worship the Lord? How long would it take you to be really ready to mean the words, how great is our God? At least once a month, I get to lead our congregation, Trinity Presbyterian Church, in worship. And I greet them with these words, God is good, and they say all the time. But I, as well as each one of them, know that horrible things like these, cancer, Aging, depression, and debilitating accidents are major and sometimes devastating components of our lives and our stories that we bring with us to worship. And even though I do not know each of you very well, I can also imagine that these sorts of things may be part of your Palm Sunday experience. You may be bringing some of those things with you as well. So the scriptures teach us that God's goodness does not always look the same, but he is always worthy to be praised. Therefore, as we read about the Jesus who heals the most harassed and the most helpless people, let's imagine a life. Let's imagine maybe even a church, and then let's imagine a Charlottesville. Then maybe even a world where Hosanna, which is a shout of adoration, Hosanna, which can actually be translated as, Oh, save, or save, I pray. If we imagine a world where Hosanna to the Lord of the harvest is our response to these worst kinds of labor, to these worst kinds of sickness, these worst kinds of loss, and these worst kinds of death. So with that being said, we're going to read our passage, and we're going to talk about Hosanna to the Lord of the harvest. So for Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 38, I'll be reading from the ESV. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him, and his disciples were with him. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I can only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all of that district. 
And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame all through that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So who knows what Christians all over the world are celebrating today? Palm Sunday. That's right. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This begins what we call Holy Week, which climaxes on Good Friday and concludes on Easter Sunday. The word holy which first appears in Exodus when God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, tells Moses to remove his shoes because the ground in which he's standing is holy ground. And this word means apartness, it means holiness, sacredness, or separateness. So for Christians, these holy days, perhaps even more than the days surrounding Christmas, deserve a greater celebration than if March Madness, the Super Bowl, the Olympics, the World Series, the Tour de France, and the World Cup were all in the same week. I think this is what Holy Week really should be, if we were really celebrating it. So while being encouraged to set apart the next seven days to really consider Christ's earthly humiliation and his sacrifices on the cross, let us also reflect on this passage, Matthew 9. These verses, 18 through 38, and see how before his crucifixion and before his resurrection, how Jesus Christ was showing compassion, how he was teaching the people, how he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and how he was healing every disease and affliction throughout all the cities and the villages. Let's remember that before these crowds were crying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, they were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And the creator of the universe, the God of wonders be all, all majesties, he was humbling himself to give real community to real people with real needs. I knew you'd like that. Our God, the Lord is one, right? And he is the Lord of the harvest. He has loved us, he has saved us, and he has promised to return to us the harvest. That is his church. All of those who the Holy Spirit enables to fear God. Places who place their confidence in the resurrected Son of God. Those who love their neighbors as themselves. 
the great shepherd commanded his disciples to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest field, to be like Jesus in their communities. And the father has answered their prayers by convicting us of our many sins, by making us stewards and laborers in his house forever. Therefore, let us show Christ's compassion. Let us teach the people around us. Let us proclaim the gospel while shouting Hosanna to the Savior of our souls and the Lord of the harvest, who heals the most harassed and helpless people, despite the difficulty, despite the duration, or the demonic forces. So those are our three things that we're going to talk about today. The the difficulty, the duration, and the demonic forces that Jesus Christ is able to heal. Verse 18 begins with the word while, which informs us that we have started watching in the middle of an episode. So we have to go back a few verses to get an understanding of our place and time. According to verse 1 of chapter 9, Jesus had entered his own city, which we believe may be referenced as Nazareth. And verse 34 of chapter 8 tells us that this happened immediately after he's been begged by an entire city to leave their region. After being accused of blasphemy by the scribes because he forgives and then heals a paralyzed man. After being confronted by the Pharisees because he eats and reclines at table with tax collectors and sinners. After being questioned about fasting by his cousin John the Baptist's disciples. Jesus' wineskin analogy is interrupted by some dude. And this is where we start reading today. Now the Greek word rendered ruler or in many versions of the Bibles that you all have, synagogue leader, in verse 18, is also the word in verse 34 that's rendered prince, which suggests that this is not just some dude. Rather, everyone would have considered him, at least in his day and time, somebody. Based on the biblical use of the word, we can assume that the certain ruler had at least a degree of authority, He had at least a degree of means. He had at least some degree of intellect. Yet we do not see him behaving like the people from chapter 8 and chapter 9 that we just mentioned, the Pharisees and the scribes. Instead, verse 18 states that he enters the room and then kneels before the man who recently said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The ruler goes to Jesus Christ And let's note that his kneeling is not just some regular Jewish greeting or some custom. In fact, a few translations gives us a better picture of what's actually happening here. This ruler is bringing Jesus the most difficult yet most common component of our human experience. The one thing that no amount of wealth or status, no amount of understanding or clout can actually help us avoid. But he is not wailing in defeat. This man is not beating his chest in despair. Rather, he is actually, according to many passages, worshiping the Lord. This is the way that he enters in. He is worshiping the Lord. Like a dog licking his master's. This is what the definitions were. Like a dog licking his master's hand or one who is literally prostrating himself. This is the same word used to describe the wise man's gifts to Jesus. When they come, they came and they worship him. It's the same worship that Jesus prescribes to the Lord thy God when Satan tempts him in chapter 4 of this same book. 
It's the same worship that the leper in chapter 8 did. And a few people that you'll read uh, over the next year, a few people come to Jesus Christ and they get healed this same way. They come worshiping and immediately they are healed. So his daughter has just died, but this ruler has so much confidence in Jesus' ability to give her life that he praised God before it even happens. Jesus rises and along with his disciples, he begins to follow the man towards an epic battle against one of his most formidable arch enemies in this cosmic war. But when Jesus finally enters the house, he finds something making the impossible situation even more difficult. Some say there's strength in numbers, while others say it's all about who you know, which may explain the crowd and their commotion that was at the ruler's house. He was somebody, and there was a lot of people there. But Jesus obviously did not consider the crowd, the flute players, their lack of faith or their laughter to be necessary ingredients for restoring this girl's life. So he tells them to go away, He puts them out. Taking her by the hand, Jesus commands death to release its grip and end its harassment of this girl. The helpless ruler, the helpless ruler believed on, he hoped for, he worshiped the Lord of the harvest. And for his laborers, Christ healed the ruler's daughter despite this difficulty. Before the miraculous restoration of Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, that happens just a few miles from Jerusalem, right before Palm Sunday, which we celebrate, before riding into the city on a donkey and a coat, Jesus is already raising the dead in his own city. So then Jesus goes and he heals the harassed and the helpless despite duration. So in verses 20 through 22, We look, but before Jesus overcomes this difficult diagnosis of a daughter's death, he must heal a woman. So we have a story thrown into the middle of that story. He must heal a woman who is truly helpless. He must heal a woman who has been harassed by sickness for some time. In verse 20, we are told this woman has not only had a discharge of blood for 12 years, but she has been suffering. She's been suffering with this. In 2008, I preached a sermon from this, from the parallel of this passage in Luke chapter 8. The title of that sermon was Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. And I always remember it because it was there. And those few words have ministered to me all of these years. Based on the information given by Luke, she is financially broke. Or in a word, she is broke. <laughs> she is completely broke. For according to verse 43 of chapter 8, she spent all that she had on the physician's. Her body is literally busted, not working properly, and it is not difficult to imagine how the actual issue of blood could have been both disgusting to her and other people. This is a real woman with real needs, and she knows that Jesus is the only person who can heal her. She's tried everybody else. Still, she does not pursue him with pleading. In fact, she doesn't even try to get his attention, but tries to stay unnoticed. And says to herself, all I need to do to get well is touch the outside of his clothes. God has not answered this despite 12. God has not answered her despite 12 years of praying. Although she's been praying for 12 years, God, how long? He's not answered yet. Is the new normal for her. 
and every doctor has been expensive and wrong. Worse still, no home remedy has brought permanent relief, and all of her friends have become deserters. But just touching his, what I must assume was pretty raggedy, pretty dusty, uh, outer cloak of Jesus Christ, considering his statements about foxes and holes and things, we must, we must imagine that she thinks that this is going to bring immediate comfort and peace despite all of these other things. Yeah, sure, most would say rather sarcastically that this is no laughing matter for Jesus or this woman because when she touches his garment, as soon as she touches his garment, it is her faith that God, in God that heals her. And immediately Jesus knew that someone had touched him for he said the power or the virtue had gone out from him. So in Luke, Jesus really wants to find out who this woman is that touched him. He even engages his disciples in search for this woman. And then Peter, as usual, gives a pretty poor answer. Um, and so she finally comes forward and she identifies herself as the person that Christ is looking for. And he encourages her. He sends her off with much more than what she was asking for. He gives her peace. It may appear that her healing in 12 years was late. It should have just happened a little bit earlier. I mean, but the Holy Spirit led Jesus through that particular part of town, that particular day, at just the right moment for her to witness, for her to see him and for her great faith, to sh- for him to show her great, awesome love through her great faith. So we also see that the healing and the harassment happens despite demonic forces. And in the final, cha- in the final healings of chapter 9, the great physician cannot even walk freely from one place to another. Instead, people flock to him as his fame increases. If this isn't bad enough, some people go out and they bring others to him. In verse 27, two blind men do exactly what Matthew has done earlier in the chapter. They just follow him. But unlike the 12 who remain mostly confused until the Holy Spirit empowers them, the religious leaders who try to trap Jesus or the crowd that is way too easily swayed, these blind men cry aloud, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus does what we can only assume will upset someone. He enters their house and he asks one simple question to them. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Rather than asking them, who is sin? Right? That's a question that you can ask blind people. Who is sin? The mother or the father? Or requiring that they pay a tribute. Jesus hears them say, yes, Lord, and opens their eyes with just a touch. Unlike the other healings, this one is accompanied by a stern warning not to tell anyone. In fact, they are instructed to make sure that no one even knows about it. And it may come as no surprise, but these guys do exactly the opposite of what Jesus Christ tells them. Then there's just one more healing that Matthew records for us in this section of the book. And on the way out of the town, a mute man is brought to Jesus. But there's a little more to the story than that. This man, according to the ESV, is demon oppressed. Paul informs us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but evil forces and powers. And this man was ground zero for that type of spiritual warfare. Some unnamed and unwelcome demon has not only made residence in some helpless soul, 
but has even hampered his relations by depriving him of speech. These demonic forces are like other difficult situations. They're no match for Jesus because he just cast it out. That's all that is said in the passage. He just cast it out. Interestingly enough, we do not know about this man's faith, but we know that he was healed and he became able to speak. When the crowds marveled and talked about this, when they commented on how uncommon and how miraculous all of this was, the Pharisees, a religious party at the time became jealous and started insulting Jesus. And so they accused the son who humbled himself by taking on human form of blasphemy. The son of God who heals the helpless and the harassed of casting out demons by the prince of demons. Rather than praise or humility, rather than shouts of joy and adoration, his own people, his fellow children of Israel, the leaders of their families, heaped on him insults and abuse until they found an opportunity to kill him. They crucified him and he was buried. But this is not how Christ's story ends. The Lord who heals the helpless and the harassed, the comforting spirit who is sovereign over all difficult matters, the master who can count a day as a thousand and a thousand as a single day, the ancient one who exists outside of time, the holy one of Israel who promised to never leave nor forsake his chosen ones, the light of the world who could not be defeated by darkness, this living son of God, he will destroy Satan, death and hell when he returns. The suffering servant left us a model for compassion and God's Holy Spirit is able to accomplish it through these laborers. According to verse 35, Jesus' model of compassion for the crowds include teaching the people, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease and affliction. So let's talk about each of these for just a few minutes. Teaching the people. It's amazing to read that Jesus Christ grew and increased in wisdom. That's an important thing for me to think about. Jesus Christ grew and increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And it's interesting to read passages like these, like this one, and see Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever lived, asking questions right, and learning with those he plans to heal or those he's just healed. So why is it so hard for me to listen and to learn from other people? If you are like me, you immediately want to find a way to help those people, whoever they are, whoever those people are. You got children, what? But, at, but and many times you will find yourself giving an encouraging word. You'll be able to be give a life lesson here or there. You might even be that good friend and that good neighbor. But let us never forget that before we were shouting Hosanna, we were also helpless and harassed by the evil one. Right. And as we ask the Father to send laborers in his harvest field, let us also pray that he prepare our ears to hear, that he prepare our hands for the work and our hearts to receive his truth. Proclaiming the gospel. Public speaking is not for everyone, and everyone at the church is not gifted in preaching. Exegesis or reading the Bible is actually not something that a lot of people spend their time doing. Every job is different. And I have some friends who are offended just by the name of Jesus, unless they're using it to swear. Um, these are similar. These and similar concerns can be good cautionary measures. All right? They can be good cautionary measures. You don't want to lose your job. 
But please do not use any of these as an excuse for just not proclaiming the gospel at all. How many of us have a friend who's less mature in the faith? How many of us have a neighbor who could use a visit every now and then? Or a cashier, right, at the local grocery store that you go to all the time that they might just benefit from a kind word? What do I love? Is there anybody in your world that could just use a little bit more of it? They seem like maybe they could have a little bit more that day. This is the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus Christ has loved us, and we should be doing that same thing. Healing every disease and affliction. I'm not suggesting that we go handle snakes or that we drink poison. Um, And that's the way Mark ends. That's the reason why I threw that. That's the way Mark ends. I'm not suggesting that, but I do strongly suggest that we refrain from giving medical advice or performing life-saving procedures if we're not actually qualified to do it. Rather, let us consider how God has gifted us and use those gifts, those talents, for service in Christ's body and pray that he heals and he uses us to help heal others in whatever way he's actually benefited us. All around us, there are many real people with real needs and they have a limited community. That is a big thing that we actually can give to people in a way that we can do this thing that Jesus Christ has left for us to do. So can we ask ourselves this question? If Christ placed our desk right next to the most boring loner at work, right? will we ever try to befriend her? Will we ever invite him to hang out with our cooler friends? Or what if the Holy Spirit sat us next to an out-of-control child with a stressed-out mom on the bus ride home or on our vacation flight? Can we imagine entertaining that kid to give her parents some rest? Or would we be able to be kind? Would we be too busy or too annoyed to even entertain the thought? Shouting Hosanna to the Lord of the Harvest. This sermon changed yesterday. Around 6 a.m., my wife informed me that my great-great-aunt had just died. She was my nanny until cancer uh, caused her to have a leg removed almost 25 years ago. But she was my neighbor until I went to college and the most crass and uncouth person I knew. Um, For almost a decade, her husband, who was 20 years older than her, prepared oatmeal, coffee, and her insulin walked up a bunch of steps and took it to her. And I don't think I can remember a time when she ever said thank you or I love you or anything like that. And it was years after that he died that I began to understand that his decision to be a deacon at home as well as at the church was not because of Nanny, but it was because of the Lord. Because he actually wanted to make preparations for his home going, as he would call it. In this passage, Jesus' compassion is manifested through healings. He meets real needs, but it's problematic to think of Jesus as social services or just a healer. More than this, he has an eternal relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. As God's sons, he always gives honor praise, and thanks to his Father. And as the sender of the Holy Spirit, Christ even reminds us of his model of love. So let's celebrate this Holy Week as laborers who know that whether needs are extremely difficult, 
like the death of a child. Whether they last a few hours or several years, whether they involve undesirable people or demons, that nothing will stop our Savior from returning for his sheep. And this is why we shout Hosanna to the Lord of the Horrors. Thanks be to the Lord. He is the Lord of the harvest. And one of the ways um, 